0: Welcome to Behavioral Grooves, the podcast that explores stories, science, and secrets from the world's brightest thought leaders for the curious at heart. I'm Kurt Nelson. And I'm Tim Houlihan. We like to explore human behavior that
1: will improve your relationships, your well being, and your organization by helping you find your groove. From best selling authors to researchers, you will learn insights from the sharpest minds in behavioral science, including psychology, behavioral economics, and neuroscience.
0: In this episode, Tim and I speak with Ben Parr. Ben is an award-winning entrepreneur, author, investor, and journalist. He is the author of the best-selling book, Captivology, The Science of Capturing People's Attention, named the top marketing book of 2015 by Strategy and Business Magazine and Smart Business Trends. He is also the co-founder and chief marketing officer of Octane AI, the marketing automation platform for messenger and messaging apps. Yeah, he's had
1: quite an accomplished career. Before Captivology, Ben was co-editor and editor-at-large at Mashable, where he wrote nearly 2,500 articles on social media and technology, and he is interviewed business leaders from Ashton Kutcher to Mark Zuckerberg. Yes, as most of our guests do, it puts us to shame, Tim. Yeah. Isn't that the truth? Well, we were excited to have Ben as a guest and we are happy to feature our conversation with him this month since we're focusing on business. We talked to Ben about
0: attention and that's a great fit for marketers. In case you haven't noticed this month, we are separating our grooving sessions from our actual interviews. So here, Tim and I share our conversation with Ben and in the next episode, you'll hear us groove on what we thought was important about it. We'd love to hear what you think of this new format. Is it something that is brilliant or is it just brilliantly stupid? <laughs> Please let us know via social media, either Twitter or LinkedIn or Facebook. Yeah, you could also let us know in an Apple review. Now, now that <laughs> would be brilliant. Yeah. All right. So with that, we invite you to sit back, take a sip of your favorite beverage and become captivated by our conversation with Ben Parr.
2: Ben Parr, welcome to Behavioral Grooves. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. We are too.
0: And as always, we start with a speed round and I get the first question here. Coffee
2: or tea or something totally different? Which do you prefer? Both. Both. When I heard Speed Round, I thought it was like, is it the Flash or is it Quicksilver? You know? <laughs> would Superman or the Flash win in a race? Eternal questions. That uh, is actually a Batman good question. Or Robin. I like that. We
0: yeah. we might yeah. need to do a, like, yeah. would Superman or Flash win in a race? I like that
2: one. All right. So both. Well, I love green tea, but if I had to go go to, I mean, it, we're talking about speed coffee is going to make you go faster. So, <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. Good answer. Okay. Um,
1: dinner with your favorite musician,
2: athlete, or actor. Ooh, this is a good one. I will probably say musician. And I think it's just like, okay, I'm going to just go on a complete quick tangent, which is uh, <laughs> great. Musicians. Yes out of, like, this, like, group of celebrities has a like, most dedicated of the fan bases and this most, like, has to think the most about, like, how they expand things. Acting, like, super amazing. You learn super interesting things, but acting is more straightforward than music in the sense of, like, both the creation of the music and the art of it, but also the promotion and the aligns and all of that. But also, like, a fan of a musician, like, a fan of an actor, the actor changes for each thing.
0: The mm. fan of,
2: like, the fan of a musician the like that is who they are at their core and so you get to like the emotional resonance between fans and musicians is deeper than any of those others and i know a lot of this because i've worked with a bunch of musicians and fastened on their behalf all sorts of things so that was the long answer to a short question
1: kurt can i extend our our speed round here i'm just curious who are the one or two musicians that you'd love to have dinner
2: with who comes to mind this is this is hard it's not even necessarily like, I want to have one that like, there's a bunch that I personally love, you know, there's like John legend and OAR and like Lupe Fiasco and a bunch of others. And, but there's like a group of others who are also just super smart, interesting, like business minds as well, or like, and I've had these conversations. I'll give you two specific examples. I, Afrojack, who I do know, he is super into psychology and super thoughtful when it comes to like psycho like is a psychology nerd psychological processes all sorts of things you wouldn't expect it from a dj but he is super thoughtful about those things and like how his music impacts people and then um emojin heap is like well known for like like she's a super amazing musician but she's trying to push the boundaries of like everything from like the like from like crypto and nfts for her stuff to just like new kinds of instruments and building like she builds new instruments and so I've had conversations with her and it's super, super fascinating. So there's super fascinating musicians who maybe I don't listen to every day, but are super thoughtful and they are just like super creative.
0: We interviewed Dessa for this show, who, you know, is the rapper, Doomtree, various different pieces, but she's doing a podcast on behavioral science, on Deeply Human. (laughs) Yeah, for the BBC and and PR, I mean, or American Public Media. It's it's fascinating, again, as you said, musicians have, not that actors or, or other, you know, uh, celebrities don't have these other interests and deep thoughts around this, but it feels like musicians, and Tim is going to just eat me up on this afterwards, but musicians just seem to have that little bit more deeper sense. And I think, Ben, as you said, they are who they are up on stage, and it's their craft. I mean actors go into a movie and the movie script is written for them and depending upon they they can act fantastic but if the script sucks you know then it doesn't really matter
2: it's just a musician has to think more about all the other lines of business there are clearly some actors ashton and others who have thought about that and are just super smart and great in conversation exactly But but musicians have to think about it more although it's image and heat by the way i know someone's going to be mad at me for pronouncing it wrong before <laughs> there's, there's a whole bunch of good people I, i'll have to go and recommend to you afterwards and you all in the audience we will take mm. you up on that all right
0: all right so we the speed Lowing round is definitely the speed round. <laughs> we're going there all right and th- this may this may come up and this was part of it a little bit in your book so how long do overnight sensations typically take to make it <sighs> three to four years <laughs> Uh, that's really not overnight is
2: it you know it's it's always it depends uh (laughs) people are suddenly like wait you just raised a giant round that's amazing but you know (laughs) it took them seven years before they went and did that and that happens all the time and then suddenly there's just something that like spikes up but it doesn't happen at the very beginning yeah you go through lots of pain and suffering first no matter which vertical or industry or thing you're trying to do Okay. Simple or complex. Which is better
1: at grabbing people's attention? Simple. Not even a question. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. We'll, we'll talk more about that in just a minute. Yeah, again. we're going to come back to
2: that one. Last oh, you thought I was going to go deeper exclamation and give you some <laughs> complex answer. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you do that, oh, that on that, that question? There that was go. fantastic.
0: No, simple. All right. Yeah. Good or bad move. Start a student group against Facebook news feed. Uh, back in 2006.
2: Oh, so for context, for everyone who was listening, doesn't know in 2006, the answer, I'll give the answer at the end of this story. Uh, I was a junior at college at Northwestern and I was training to be an RA and they launched a new thing called the newsfeed and I didn't like it. And a bunch of other people didn't like it because it was posting like who broke up and who got together at the time, at least. And so I made a Facebook group called Students Against Facebook Newsfeed. And then I told a couple internet friends about it. And then I left uh, for like RA training. And then at noon, I got a call from a friend's like, Ben, yo, your Facebook group blew up at 10,000 members when they called me because the newsfeed wow. was promoting it to all the other people.
0: So the newsfeed was promoting the Facebook Anti-news group. Anti <laughs> newsfeed. I like that. That's
2: it got to a hundred thousand that night. I had like a group of people like watching the computer, just like click refresh, see if it got to a hundred thousand. And then like, it was like five, 15 minutes of fame, like all these interviews, all these people, I had 4,000 Facebook messages. I counted. I had three proposals like in my, in my <laughs> wow. DMs. I wonder if they're still there. <laughs> it was a crazy time, but you know, afterwards, like, and this is like part of the story, but like after it all happened, uh, like, I got a I got a really really nice email from Mark and I had a nice conversation with Mark afterwards and he was very much just like how can we improve the product like give me your feedback let's go talk through all that and then years later you know when I became the co-editor of Mashable my first assignment in San Francisco was actually to like go to an event at Facebook and so I was on the rooftop I met Cheryl and then I met Zuck and he just left his butt off for a couple of seconds just being like you know like well welcome, you're on the other side now so uh good it, it, it's just like i, I don't know it's just that one is just one of the more random hilarious things and then i ended up in tech
0: <laughs> it is so so your background has to be one of the most diverse and interesting ones of people that we've talked with It's just it's fascinating so how did you and granted, you can maybe talk a little bit about that. But I'm really curious as to how you got interested in attention. what What was it about attention, given you, you, like you said, you you were co-editor at Mashable. You've done some, you know, tech startup areas and various different things around here. But what was it about attention that grabbed your attention? So
2: I always wanted to be a movie star. Got um, <laughs> I'm not opposed to that. But, It was because at the time, so I was the editor of Mashable and I was like, I wrote all these articles and I like analyzed all these companies. And then when I left, I was investing and I was investing into early stage companies. And all of these founders and entrepreneurs asked me for the same help. And they came to me for the same reason. like, I want help with press. I want help with marketing. I want help with customer and user acquisition. I want help with virality. It's all the same stuff. It's attention. How do you capture attention? And so I was like, hmm. Same thing is coming up every single time. I need to do a deeper dive into this. So I did this like deeper dive into attention, realized that there's so much research on the topic, but no one had synthesized it into something that was accessible to just the entrepreneurs out there, the people who are trying to break into Hollywood, trying to become a musician, trying to get agents, trying to build fan bases. And that's just like attention is... And I talk about this in the book, but the attention is the currency of the modern like economy, you know, you have attention, you have the ability to build a fan base, build customers, build money, build, you know, like all the things and attention has a bad rap in the sense of like, oh, it's like bad to seek attention, but for the right cause, for the right thing, you need to build attention. You know, you want to win a campaign, you have to go and build attention and giving every the People, the resources, the knowledge on how to go and do that in a smart way and to understand how their own attention works so that they can protect it. It just became a, it just, I just did this deep dive. And then I started talking with, you know, agents, publishers, others. And again, I'd always had like book offers over the years and like interest, but it was the first time I found a topic where I wanted to really dive deep. And so I did. And it was just a super fascinating process. So,
1: Goldfish have longer attention spans than human beings do, at least according to a Microsoft study. How do you grab someone's attention? You you, you certainly go through what are the eight uh, triggers, the captivation triggers. But are are there just a couple of principles that we can rely on to grab people's attention?
2: So I have some slight issues with that gold, with the goldfish one. And I'm going to start with this because attention is more complex than pay attention, don't pay attention. People think of it as an on-off switch. It really is a progression, right? and so you pay different levels of attention at different stages and even my model i have a three stages of attention can oversimplify it some but you have to draw the line somewhere and so i talk a lot about immediate short and long attention and how we pay attention to those certain like phrases i know i'm going in a different direction than your question Perfect. whatever but immediate you know is like immediate attention is automatic response like it's built into our Brains, it's built into our systems when there's a gunshot, horrible smell. It's designed to protect you. Attention at its fundamental level is designed to protect you from threats before you go to the next stages. And so, you know, understanding what things capture attention, what colors, what sounds, what symbols, things that in a lot of cases you do not actually have much control over unless you actually know what the thing is. And even then, you don't have as much control over it as you think you do. It's just super fascinating. There's just a whole litany of these things, and I have a set of triggers that capture that immediate attention. Then there's short attention, which is our short-term attention span, short-term memory. Uh, one thing I do talk about in the book, and you can all dive deeper: captivology.com. Go wherever <laughs> books are sold. Go deeper into like like attention and memory are intrinsically linked. If you don't remember mm-hmm. something, you did not actually pay attention. It did not matter. And so it's all about do you remember something? And short-term memory, like certain things get like, you can pay attention for a short period of time. And then your brain chooses which things go into like medium-term storage and long-term storage. And that's like where you get into the third phase, which is long attention, which is long-term interest. It's the difference between going like, it's the difference between advertising your product and being Apple and saying like, we have a new product and everyone coming to you. Mm. And there's like a fundamental difference. And that's like where like, this stage is less talked about, but very critical to go and build to, because you can't go and build a business or a fan base. If you have to constantly go and like spend ad dollars to go get customers, you have to go and constantly go and promote. You want to have people coming to you, building like like long-term loyalty, building a long-term, uh, long-term relationship with you or with your brand or with your nonprofit or with whatever your cause you're trying to bring to the forefront so in in the book you you use another
0: analogy and and if if this is overlap you know i, I apologize but it's the bonfire analogy and and i think there's a, it's a really interesting analogy about how you talk about this and i was hoping that you could maybe expand on that a little bit for our listeners just kind of talk to this idea of of you know starting with the ignition and then the kindling and finally getting to the bonfire and just Because I think it's a really good way of thinking about what you were just talking about, that automatic, that short term, and then this long-term piece. And I don't know if that was part of that or not, but would love your thoughts.
2: So the three stages of attention are like directly related to the bonfire. So like analogies just make it easier to understand things. Again, memory, the things that like kick memory. So when you build a bonfire, there are three stages. There is the, Ignition, So like the actual spark that like lights, there's the kindling, so like you're building up to, and like the thing you, you got to go and build that up before you can do a bonfire. And the whole point of the analogy is you can't jump to one of the other stages without doing it in the correct order, right? You can't build long-term loyalty with like without, you know, capturing initial attention and captivating them for like that with short attention, just in the same way you can't just like start a bonfire without an ignition. Or without kindling and so it is a process to build up attention like a bonfire but once the bonfire is going it keeps on going if you like it goes on for a very long time and it's the same kind of thing with attention you just do have to refuel it once in a while just mm-hmm. like the same kind of thing like the analogy like works almost perfectly because you do have to refuel it once in a while but it'll keep on going on its own but you've got to like especially focus in the beginning on like what is the spark? What is the thing that's going to immediately capture their attention? And then how do I use that immediate capture of attention to get like my key thing across, which is where simplicity matters because you have maybe a couple of minutes at the best or a couple of seconds. What's the one thing you want to get across? And too many people are trying to get 15 things across.
0: Yeah. And and I love the analogy from that perspective is if you think again, you you talked about Apple, right? Apple doesn't have to rekindle every time now. They're just keeping, but, but if they stop refueling, if they stop putting stuff in, that bonfire will die. But they're not having to go through those, those steps anymore. And so it's a different process for them versus somebody who's just starting out. And I think that you nailed that in that analogy, like you said, I think it's a perfect one for talking about attention and grabbing it and keeping it as you move forward. So kudos to you. Why, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I really loved
1: this the story of the Joshua Bell versus Susan Keezer uh, uh, about being, you know, two really world- class musicians. Joshua Bell goes into a subway uh, in a, in a busy hallway, gets virtually no attention. Susan Keezer goes uh, and s- decides to quit the symphonic work and says, "I'm going to play on the street, but I'm going to be really selective about how I do it." Um, can you talk a little bit about that particular story and the the point that you were trying to make? Because
2: I, I just thought it was, of course, as a musician,
1: I thought that was just particularly cool.
2: So uh, there's a couple elements to this. So like Joshua Bell, like people pay many, many, many thousands of dollars to hear him, and he's incredible. And I actually probably need to put it on my list to make sure I go hear him in person. I will go do that. So I hear Susan in person; she's amazing. But his reputation has made it so that you just pay attention naturally because of his reputation, which is one of the triggers he's built up to that, but he just goes in and he goes plays somewhere, you know, no matter, like it's amazing, but you know, the wrong place, wrong location, people just like go by. And so like in his case, you know, if you are trying to play during rush hour, no emotional, no matter what you are doing, they're going to like ignore the talent and they, their mind is elsewhere. They have to go get somewhere. There's nothing you're going to be able to do, no matter how amazing you are to get their attention. Susan, on the other hand, like, because she's been doing it for so long, knows exactly where, like, and when based on trial and error. But, you know, it's super clear that if you play after the rush hour happens, there's just people who are You know, they're going to be more casual. They're probably maybe more tourists. They're going to stay longer. They are not in an immediate rush and there's like more time. And then you pick places where you have more time to go and make an impression on them. Because if you're just like running through like an entrance and you only hear four seconds of Joshua Bell, that's not going to be enough time for you to be like, I need to go and hear it. But Susan will pick the middle of a long hallway where you have to like, it takes like 20 seconds to go and like walk to her and then 20 seconds or more to walk out. That's more, that's enough time to like start absorbing and being like, I'm hearing this, I'm seeing this, I'm hearing this, I'm seeing this. I wanna hear some more, I wanna see some more. I'm not in a rush cause it's not rush hour. Timing, those like these like little things really matter. And like I talk a ton of these things, like how if you wear the color red, the opposite gender will sit six inches closer to you on average and you don't even realize it. I'm I'm actually sure shocked that I don't see more people just wear red on dates because <laughs> right. it works. Well, I I, I love I love this because I have had the
1: experience of walking through public spaces, uh, train stations uh, specifically, or come to mind like in New York or Philadelphia, and notice that I can hear music playing in the distance as I'm approaching in a large public space where it's echoing, and it and I have more time as I'm walking through this this large space. It takes more time. So I get to listen to more music, and it does a better job of capturing my attention. It's really perfect, and it's something that it can be orchestrated. I mean, what you're saying is that you can, uh, Susan Kieser has figured it out and actually uses that to her advantage, and, and that we can. It's not like just some random thing. We can actually be intentional about it, is what I hear you saying.
2: Orchestrate attention. I love that pun. (laughs) Like the world's greatest brands, the world's greatest musicians, the world's greatest performers are incredibly intentional about attention. Like the number one example from my book and just in my life in general is David Copperfield. He is the most intentional person I've ever met about attention. And it's because he cares so much about the audience's experience and wants to make sure that every piece of it is like, perfectly orchestrated and he wants them to have he he is a perfectionist and like i want to make sure that i have the absolute best possible experience you know and like even if it's just like a like a big change to increase it by one percent he will go and do that and that's like part of why he is you know the like best-selling performer of all time and has a private island where he brings people and all that fun stuff because he's so intentional about it and like it makes for like an utterly perfect show an experience and he's says, so intentional about like how will the audience react to this how will the audience react to that testing different things and it shows he will test new things all the time just to see and feel reactions and it consistently changes so that like you go back it will be a different show every like every year every couple of years so it will never always be static and that's just like something you can you can all learn from where attention is not something that you deserve attention is not something that you just get it's something that you have to both earn and that you have to be intentional about and the way you get attention because i can get attention by like running down the street streaking but I'm not going to get the kind of attention I want and not from the people I want. And this podcast would be done from a jail cell,
0: <laughs> <laughs> which we're glad it's not. <laughs> and thank you for not doing that. You bring, and think this relates right into what you're just talking about, this intentionality, but you bring a lot of behavioral science into the book. You You talk about heuristics, you talk about dopamine release, you talk about emotions and you bring in like Gialdini and other you know John Barge, who we've both had on this on the show. what do you think that enough people who beyond the practitioners of behavioral science, do you think that they're like a David Copperfield or any of those CEOs of these startups, are they paying enough attention to some of the insights that you can get from behavioral science in order to? gain that attention, as you said, be intentional about it? Or do they need to spend more time looking at some of this research that's out there that may be able to point them in some directions that they may not otherwise understand or know?
2: It's Well, I mean, I'm going to just leave it like I wrote the book because there's so much research. There's just incredible. And I got to interview all these experts like Dr. Michael Posner and Dr. Like, like Adam Gazzaley and like all these amazing experts in like neurology and psychology and behavior and learn so much from them. But that is so much information to synthesize. And they have like all the like little pieces. Like this is literally why I wrote the book because it was like, okay, there's this raw information. How do you go and synthesize it? Which is the same kind of like how the world works in general, right? Which is like, there's all this information. And then there's a group of people who just synthesize it they synthesize it into a book i'm 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 tangenting again but it's cool that's perfect Uh, they synthesize it into like a quick 10 minute youtube video like i was learning about like the supersonic jet industry i'm not going to go do research on it but i want to know it someone did all the work to go and look at all that information and like everything happening in that industry and then synthesized it into 10 minutes so that I brain could absorb like the highest level stuff so I could know what will happen over in the near future. Uh, there's literally people whose job is just to do this, like, invest, like VC investors, right? Mm-hmm. Like depending on who and depending on what, you know, the best ones like their job is to literally like talk to a lot of people, and figure out the future. And like, in some cases, you know, like startups have to remember that because Half the time, an investor is talking to you to like do research and get knowledge, versus like actually like want to give you money. But that happens like all the time. That's their job. Like you talk to a lot of people, you go try to figure out the future, and then you synthesize it in some way into a thesis, into a book, into a video, because our attention cannot handle the sheer amount of information that is around us, and so that we rely on others and to synthesize that information that we're interested in that we need into something that is digestible because otherwise we would go mad.
0: Yeah, you. it's interesting. We met you through uh, John Levy and his influencer salon and it, what you just were talking about there, I think it, it kind of fits in with what his new book, one of the things that he's talking about is curating, right? And he's talking uh, again about influence and, and networking and various different things and creating these experiences and curating who's there. What I hear you say is that we're, it's not just that, it's also about curating the information and that you're saying, look, you're synthesizing this big body of work and you're curating it down to that playlist of here are the key insights from this that you can take because you don't have the bandwidth, as you said, the time, the energy, the inclination even to really go out there. But take this because this is going to be enough to help you get down that road and uh, kind of pair that with, what John was saying about curating the people within that group and that network. And so I thought that was really a interesting piece. I don't know if you agree or not, but.
2: A critical piece of a curator or a great writer or a great artist, more important than what is curated is like what is not curated. It's like what you say no to, <laughs> what is out. right? A great CEO, great founder, like curates what information is disseminated because you just do the raw data dump You could frankly like scare your team, Uh, especially with all the things that like go and happen. Your job is to protect them and like, like disseminate the information they actually need so they can go and do their jobs. And their job is to do the vice versa. Like they don't need to know all, like a founder and CEO does not need to know all the details of every piece of the business, but the high level needs to be surfaced correctly. And like sometimes a deep dive is needed in the right area, but it is all about curating it. Curating and make and curation is more about what is not included than what is included. It is too easy to include a lot of things, but like if I want to include all the sounds and all the beats and all the things in a song, be a 10 minute song and it would suck. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Unless it were Stairway to Heaven and
1: then it might work, but but of course, that that (laughs) Stairway to Heaven isn't even 10 minutes long, so but
2: I mean, I mean, Stairway to Heaven, they probably like. They like, I would remember. Like, if you watch the movie about Queen, like, there was, but like, actually, like, there was a ton of stuff that was like recorded for like Bohemian Rhapsody, but it was like cut down, even from like it's a long song, but it was even cut down a whole bunch more. But there's like also a very specific theme and story they're trying to tell. You could tell a long story, but uh, it has to be very well curated, right? And it has to be very well curated in terms of like the one idea to the next idea not trying to like shove 12 ideas directly at you.
0: Yeah. And again, you going back, sorry to Tim, I'll I'll, I'll let you, I'll just make a statement and then you can add in with a question. It's that, that old Mark Twain. And if it's Mark Twain or whoever it is that said, look, I'm sorry. I, sorry, I wrote you a long letter. I didn't have time to write you a short letter. Right. It's that idea that it's harder to actually take those pieces out. It is. It's that skill set because anybody could take everything and just dump it in. That that doesn't take much intelligence or skill or, you know, work at it. It is the ability to be able to say, no, these are the real key pieces and the rest of this just needs to be left out. And to be able to tell that story in a cohesive story with the, the right notes, the right tune, the right length just makes that that much harder. So I fully agree with that and i apologized to him for stepping over you and you know but it happens all the time so you're used to it right ben you're welcome to respond to the
1: epistle if you'd like
2: <laughs> <laughs> you heard it from kurt there you go there's the, bit for the book <laughs> <Captivology>. <laughs> well
1: i'm curious about you we're talking about curating we're talking about synthesizing you've you had to do that for the, for the last book you're always writing i'm sure there's more ahead right there's more curation and synthesizing in your own life do you have any particular techniques that you use to to decide what's
2: going to stick and what isn't oh that's a really good one everyone has a different process my process is typically like it's like raw brain thoughts are put onto a page of any kind. So like, and sometimes like I have the luxury, like luckily of having an amazing team. So I may call a member of the team and be like, just write everything down. It's coming from my brain into yours. Good luck. (laughs) But then I can look at that information and then I can go and like, I think honestly, it's less about like, what's the raw information and more like what's the conclusion of that information. Right? Cause like Mm -hmm. you could tell me all these things about attention, but what's the actual conclusion? Like what's it actually mean? What's the actual like actionable item? That's like where the human, like, like where like something goes from interesting to useful, which I want to always be on the side of being like useful and like taking it a step farther. And so it's honestly just like a lot of time to think and just like staring at a whiteboard, or staring at information and just like thinking through. And like a lot of that just comes from a lot of conversations. So it's just like a large funnel of information. And then you just gotta have it down somewhere so that you can reference for at least in my process. And then it goes down to like, what's the actual conclusion that I'm making? And then what's the information that goes along with like that conclusion and everything else is extraneous. And does it need to go and be there? Even like, there are definitely a lot of things that I researched and I did that were like not in the book. And I'm like, oh, that would have been like super awesome, but it didn't fit with like the story that I wanted to tell. And I think I'm even more about like than even before about telling a particular story and having like, you know, like even a business book or a a presentation to your board or whatever it is, or an album, like you tell a story from beginning to end. What's the story that you're trying to tell? What's the connective tissue between each of those chapters or each of those slides or each of those everything I think about that a lot. I feel like it's all about great storytelling and storytelling technique, no matter what it is. And that helps you curate. Yeah, I love the the thought about
0: thinking about that outcome. What's the useful part of all of this information that people are going to be able to take and, and, and build that? All right, I have to ask one question because I don't think we've, we've interviewed 220 plus people. Lots of those are authors. And I don't think we have ever had an author on the show whose book has been launched into space. Um, or space <laughs> right, yeah. So yeah. just help, first off, explain that for our listeners, what What? What was going on there, and then, you know, what was the impetus for that? And
2: then, you know, any just fun stuff. I just want to hear about that story. I mean, I wrote a book about attention, so I better go do something attention-grabbing. <laughs> <laughs> I literally went backwards from like my book. I'm like, what's going to like the disruption trigger was the trigger in my book where like we pay attention to things that violate our expectations. like. And then I was like, what are the things and resources? And it had just come up that my friend who worked at NASA was just like, I actually know people that are like, if you want, they're just like they put stuff into space and it does not cost very much. And like, you can do it like really cheap if you want with a weather balloon, for example, you can do it really cheap and get something up into space and have the camera and everything like low orbit, but it's still space. And I was like, well, yeah, and I got connected and I sent a copy of the book and uh, some other stuff and they sent that thing into space and they got a bunch of space dust and it is in my, (laughs) it is in my, I know where it's in my storage unit at the moment, but I have some plans for that particular copy of the book in the future. But sometimes it's just like opportunities arise and just like resources. I have other, like, you know, usually I'm like, okay, I want to go do something crazy. What's actually the things that are like, you know, near to around me. And that one was shockingly straightforward in terms of like making that one happen. I have some crazier ideas now for the next book.
0: Though. Well, we, we interviewed, also, um, Tim, help me again. Uh, Michael well, we Shine, talk- Yeah. And he was talking about Alice Cooper in the early, maybe late 70s. I don't remember exactly when. But again, utilizing this, he had a big billboard that he put on the back of a truck that uh, he was working in uh, trying to sell out Wembley Stadium in England and purposely broke the truck down in Piccadilly Circus, right? And it was a pretty provocative uh billboard that then got all this news and so the intent there was again drawing attention and disruptive and so i just wondering because you, you bring up a number of triggers that you know we talked about a couple of those you just disruptive there's automaticity there's reward there's different ones there that you have do you have a favorite trigger and you know it's i'm sure it's like asking which is your favorite baby you know it's probably not there but is there one that you know ah. Uh, I really do kind of like this one better.
2: The, the so it's the difference between like flashy and long lasting because like disruptive. The disruption trigger is flashy. You get to do the super cool stunts, and I do love doing that. And frankly, there's a couple more stunts I I will do. I didn't get to do for the uh, captivology, but I will do for like the next book and for the future because I will go nuts. But it really is actually like my last trigger. It is the like. I'm just gonna go over the triggers. There's like automaticity, automatic like reaction to things, which is super fascinating from a like behavior perspective. How much we change our behavior based on colors and sounds and things like that. Yeah, you know, there's disruption, there's reward, and like the fact that we pay attention to certain kinds of rewards, uh, framing, which is about like the fact that we pay attention to different things in different frames of reference. This is something that we've seen, especially in politics, over the last four or five years, which is like a whole different topic and it's given me a lot of thought too. But it's about the last trigger is acknowledgement. And that's like the most powerful one. It's just like no matter who we are or what, we're looking for our tribe, we're looking for our community, we're looking for, you know, acknowledgement from, we're looking for that feeling of belonging and acknowledgement and that desire to be part of something bigger. And there's a lot of people who like, Celebrities do an incredible like right sellers do an incredible job of building that feeling even without meeting all of their fans. Mm -hmm. Politicians do, some do an incredible job. It like, for better or for worse, acknowledgement is where tribalism of like of all sorts of things comes from. We are always looking for community. And those communities evolved over time. Also something I thought a lot about because religion, church, you know, is a community and there's been a Super strong part of community for centuries and has only recently been declining as like a main, like mainstay of like your community. Super local has always been a thing, like your local, like that, like local group, your like neighborhood, but that has declined as like now we are a more global society. And so the things that connect us and like the things that we are like identifying ourselves with to the point in some cases of irrationality is around politics. It's around a belief. It's around, you know, some group that we want to go and identify with. It's with a cause. And so like, it's just a, like a consistent natural transition, but it's the same core thing, which is that humans desire belonging and desire people who give them that feeling of belonging. And it results in everything from radical positive world change to, to cults of personality. Fantastic. And that I think is a perfect segue into
1: asking what's on your playlist right now.
2: <laughs> nice, seg- nice segue. Nice segue to that. Was that good? Was that nice good? segue. Yes. There you go. I mean, mine changes up based on like my mood. So it was interesting because, like, if I, you know, I, I'm trying really to do the discover weekly and have like a new set of songs in my inbox, like every oh, week. Oh, cool. And like, I will go and like change a the theme. There's like some class, like, so like I'm from a, like a nineties kid. So there's like some classic nineties stuff. And then there's like, you know, like guns and roses and things like that. But like in the more, like, uh, it just depends. Like I go on like a, like a, a kid cuddy binge or I go on like, I'm like looking at like the most recent ones that I like, there's like a couple of like, O O A R is like a one that I'll consistently listen to, but like there's like a bunch of like a, this one called Cosmo Sheldrake that I've started enjoying, and I don't even like. I haven't done a deep dive into the artist. Maybe the artist is crazy or something, but I will just go and like dive deep into like a like a specific new thing. I really do like discovering new music consistently and constantly, and being exposed to like all across the spectrum. Basically, I'll listen to anything. Country is not my thing. Sorry. So. So genre
0: outside of country, you know, some some jazz to classical to to hip. I played to, saxophone,
2: so jazz jazz is close to my heart too.
0: Yeah, there you go. What what kind of jazz?
1: Do you have a do you have particular? Are you, are you like a? You wanted to be Kenny G when you grew up, or uh, <laughs> or is Kenny G or, jazz? I don't
2: think I ever aspired to be Kenny G. <laughs> I um, was going to say but I don't know. I, anyway. The nice thing about jazz is it is among all the music. Genres the most improvisational, like it is built on improvisation and the improvisation of lines and like things like that. And I'm, in, for better or for worse, more improvisational. And I really enjoy that about jazz. It's just like, what are you feeling? And express that in the form of notes. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, were there any saxophonists that you aspired to when you were that you listened to and you were taking? saxophone lessons to think,
2: yeah, I want to be like Stan Getz or, you know, uh, Branford Marsalis or, you know. You just drop in all the names. I, I've never been a person who's like, I want to be like X or Y when I've grown up. That's just like, I think there can be like, I, I have some people like really aspire like I just aspire to be whoever I am and just follow whatever my interests are and meet the people who I think are super interesting. And I tend not to be like, I'm like, really, like, there are super inspiring people and people I want to go and meet, but I don't get attached to the idea that like, I have an identity around them. I think maybe I've seen like that, that can lead into like, like it doesn't lead to the ways that I just personally think. And I think it's also something where I find it interesting because everyone's internal clock and internal mechanisms are so very different. And I thought about that more over the last year where some people are like, the, with the pandemic like i am, i'm introverted this is the greatest thing ever or people are like more extroverted i want to go and do acts or people some people are really like like thinkers and people other people are really about like how do i go out and do things some people are like i want to have a really clear plan and others are like you could throw me into any situation and i'm going to be super happy to just like improv on the fly and so I know it's just like, I thought about persona and like for for mine, I think a lot about like, how can I like just be me and like be a better version of me and like consistently improve, but still stay true to the core of who I am. And for others, I think I think there's something to like, I they aspire to be an X or Y, or they uh, forge your own. There's just a lot. I know I'm going on the tangent on that. I think there's just like a lot of differences I don't think too much about like, I want to be an X or Y. There's just people that I admire, but I would like to forge my own crazy path.
0: Well, and I think you bring up a really good point in that self-identity and what that gets, you know, how you wrap yourself around a self-identity. And I think one of the issues of trying to be like X or Y is the timetable too. It's like, oh, well, X made it big by the time they were 25 and I'm 26 and I haven't achieved that. And so you get these false kind of goals of how well you have to perform or how successful you have to be at a certain point, as opposed to saying, no, let me just be the best me that I can be. And then my timetable is my timetable. I don't need to put that arbitrary number out there that by x I'm going to be you know as successful or as prominent or as influential as whatever the person is that you're trying to model yourself against. And so I I think there's a lot of value in that. And I think if more people were able to look at their life as a how do I be the best me that I can be, I think we'd be much better off. For, I think they would people would be much better off because that's, uh, that's self-improvement and that's, that's the real key to this. So.
2: It's superhuman to compare yourself and to aspire because we all need benchmarks. And that's probably where part of it comes from. You know, like I, you know, you're an entrepreneur and you see other businesses raising money and multi-billion dollar valuations. And you think like, oh my God, like I'm so far behind or why am I not that? And like, the truth is three-fourths of it is just goddamn luck, really. There's <laughs> yeah. so much luck involved. Yeah. And you just don't, there's just so many things you, you don't go in control. And I have to remind myself of this kind of thing all the time because I'm very guilty of it too. But, you know, you think in the little, in the more immediate moments, of just like, how do I just make today, like, a great day? And, like, how do I, like, do one thing that I'm going to really enjoy? And, like, you know, true, like, how you go and build to, like, a longer term future, but you can't, you have to do as much as you can to try not to measure it against like others, because there will always be someone who is doing better or on a bigger boat than you, whatever thing you value. Uh, and you just can't judge based on that. And then like at the, I've seen it from like at those, like, even those other ones are like the things that the stresses are just so much crazier too. So yeah. It's, it's hard because like we are built that way. It's just like there's certain mechanisms I write about in the book just like that are just internal to our wiring, comparing ourselves against others and benchmarking is one of those key things and that, that creates a lot of cognitive biases that like guide our decision making and our thinking.
0: Yeah. and there's the, the aspect of survivorship bias. We see and, and as, as we talked about earlier, curating, like right? we look out on social media, and the the world that we see out there is a curated world. They're not showing, you know, the the pictures of their vacation to to Maui with their kids who are fighting and screaming and crazy. They're showing the beautiful sunset picture that, you know, just 2 seconds before was total chaos and we compare ourselves to the curated picture as opposed to what real life is because we we only get to see that, right? It's the you only get to see the successful companies are the ones that get written about. You don't hear about the hundreds of thousands of companies or entrepreneurs that are doing okay but they're not necessarily doing great or the, even the ones that fail and that I think is a really big piece of this element like you said we we always kind of we always look to others to to compare yet the comparisons that we do are kind of a false comparison they are they are the, the 1% and you know maybe that's good Maybe that is a piece that gets us that makes us aspire to want to be that. But on the other hand, it can lead us to saying, Hey, my life isn't matching up and I must be a total failure. And that that
2: I think is bad. It's I mean, you think the nail on the head. Uh you, you just gotta like, you just have to do your own thing and be as true to yourself and like look like it's not even just like i was remembering like it's not even just like all these other companies are not written about it's like the 99 percent of all the others and even the most successful companies like go through and like those founders go through and those musicians have gone through like also get about and there's just like day-to-day grind like there's even just stuff like not even the like inspiring like like had this crisis and like survived there's just like had to go and like send 100 emails and then like put all that information to an Excel spreadsheet. (laughs) Every founder, every other like person has to go and like do that. And that's not written about and everyone has to go like, you just gotta, sometimes you gotta just do the rote stuff too, but it's just not written about. And it just doesn't matter if you're a multi billionaire or like you're just starting out. That Just like everyone did that in the beginning. Yeah.
1: Ben Parr, thank you so much for being a part of Behavioral Groups
2: today. We've really enjoyed this. Thank you again for having me. You don't have to lie. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> no, no, this is there's so, there's so much more. There's there's so much more to go and dive to dive into, but maybe for a future time or if you. Someone someone wants to tweet at me about their thoughts on the book. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh,
0: so, so for, uh, again, listeners, Captivology, fantastic book really, as you said, it synthesizes a bunch of things down. And I think particularly for people who are just trying to be an entrepreneur, trying to gain that attention, this is a good way of, of looking at the key aspects of it. And so thank you for writing that. Thank you for taking your time and sharing that time with us. It's a valuable commodity. And uh, we do, we will look forward to talking to you again. So
2: can't wait. Thank you so much for having me. See you all in real life soon. With that folks, we wrap up our
0: conversation with Ben and we hope you've enjoyed all of his insights into gaining and maintaining attention. To hear more about what Tim and I thought of the conversation, tune into the very next episode that features our grooving session of this
1: talk. And whether or not you check out the grooving session, we hope that this week you go out and find your groove.